0: Thanks Roland. So uh, we're almost at the end of our series through the Sermon on the Mount and the passage that I'm going to uh, share with you today is verses 15 to 23 of Matthew chapter 7. So let's read it together. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes Away from me, you evildoers. These are quite strong words from Jesus, and there's a lot to look at in this passage. There are really two parts to this passage. The first section deals with false prophets. Who are false prophets? What makes them false prophets? What drives a false prophet to do whatever it is they do? And then the second part of this passage is all about who really is a Christian, so that's just a, a favorite picture of mine that many of you know well. So we'll get to these guys in a moment. By the way, false prophets always look a bit woolly and attractive, like you want to give them a little cuddle or something. But, but actually inside, they're, they're very harmful and, and can hurt you. So let's look at this one first. Who really is going to be saved? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If we go back to um, Roland's sermon from last week, I believe it was, he talks about the two roads, and there's this broad road that leads to destruction, and Jesus says that most people, he uses the word many, many people are on this broad road that leads to destruction. And only a few people are on the road that leads to life. So Jesus uses the terms many and few. And according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, many people will not be saved. Only a few people will. Makes me think of uh, some false teaching that's going around today. Some people have this idea that God is so kind-hearted and God is so loving that he's never going to send anyone to hell, that at the end of the day, everyone's going to be saved. The Catholics have the idea that if you're not good enough to go to heaven first time when you die, you can go to, to hell light, which they call purgatory, for like however many decades or centuries it takes to get you there in the end. Rob Bell, for example, who used to be an evangelical Christian, has as his motto, love wins. And he also is under the impression that at the end of the day, everybody's going to be saved uh, just via different routes. But Jesus reminds us that not everybody's going to be saved. And my question to you tonight is, are you going to be saved? And are you being saved as you sit here tonight? Because not everybody who calls Jesus Lord is going to land up in heaven one day. That's what Jesus is saying here. Not everyone who says to me on that, not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, calling Jesus Lord doesn't make you a Christian. It's listening to Jesus, obeying Jesus. That's what makes you a Christian. Praying to Jesus because you have some need in your life. And so you pray and you call on the name of Jesus. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's only he who does the will of my Father in heaven, who on that final day of judgment is going to make the cut, as it were. And there are going to be a lot of surprised people on the day of judgment. And people are going to say to Jesus, what's going on, your Lord? I prophesied in your name. Others are going to say, I cast out demons in your name. Others are going to say, I performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus' response to them is going to be, but I never knew you. I never knew you. There's a false spirit of prophecy. Satan can overcome other little demons and boss them around. False prophets can perform signs and wonders. We can't be taken in by these things. They're not not evidence that someone is saved. I'm also struck by Jesus' words in verse 23. I never knew you. It's not you were following me when you did all those great things. Well done to you. No, it's, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. Jesus also warns that there will be false prophets and false messiahs in the last days. You will perform great signs and miracles with the purpose of deceiving people. So don't be deceived. How could a situation like this come about, where there are people casting out demons, prophesying in God's name, Jesus' name, doing signs and wonders? It it happens because of false teaching in the church. People become convinced that they have a relationship with God and they're doing all these things, but it's not driven by love for God. So as we conclude this first section or Is it the last? No, it's the first section. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. When Jesus speaks about false prophets, who might he have had in mind? Who might he have had in mind? Well, there were many false prophets during the Old Testament era. There were the true prophets of God, of course. And I don't want to undermine prophecy as a gift in the church today. It's a wonderful gift. But not everybody who says God told me to tell you is actually speaking a word from God. There are many self-appointed prophets in the church today. That's why if anybody claims to bring a word of prophecy, we must all evaluate what's been said. But there were many self-appointed prophets in the Old Testament. At the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was one of the true prophets, and he told the people, God's going to judge us. We're going to go into exile, into Babylon, and God's going to punish us for 70 years. And the false prophets were saying, no, 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 God would never do that to us. He's far too loving. We'll be back in Jerusalem in just a couple of weeks or months. And they mocked Jeremiah And they put him in stocks in the temple, and everybody laughed at him. The priests laughed at him. And the false prophets were believed by the people. And so Jeremiah prophesies against the false prophets and says to the people, don't listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. And a lot of prophets today do that. They say to people what they know they want to hear. Most prophecies are going to be, you're going to be rich, God's going to bless you, his favors, etc., etc. It's never, you're going to be poor, you're going to be martyred. They speak visions from their own minds, not the mouth of the Lord, says Jeremiah. I did not send these prophets, yet they've run with their message. Let the prophet who's had a dream tell his dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. And so he goes on. In the Old Testament, there were false teachers. Some of the priests were misleading the people. In the second chapter of Malachi, we read that the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth, men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching, you have caused many to stumble. There are many, many false teachers in the world today. People misleading God's people, causing them to stumble, distracting them from the path God actually has for them. The Pharisees were probably false teachers that Jesus had in mind. Jesus said of their teaching, their teaching. It's, they are, it's but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and you're holding to the traditions of people. Note the sarcasm you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And often people want to do a thing and they want it to be this way, and so they set aside what God has commanded. To observe what they themselves want to do. Jesus says to us, watch out for false teachers. We must watch out for false messiahs. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Throughout history, people have claimed to be Jesus, come back. But we don't have to worry that we'll miss his return because we're all going to know about it, and there'll be no doubt. But over the centuries, people have claimed to be Jesus, often those that have started cults. Be warned, says Jesus, for false Christs and false prophets will appear. Of course, Jesus had in mind false teachers that would uh, threaten the health of the church. And for those of us... And I hope many of you have done this. You've you've studied a little bit of church history, and you know what went on in the first few centuries. In fact, throughout the the 20 centuries of church history, you will know how different ideas and doctrines have snuck in and for centuries misled people. Jesus warned against all of the false teachers that would come, the Marcians and the Pelagians. Pelagians. Thank you, him. The Gnostics and and many other people. Paul writes to Timothy and says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Often, Christian doctrine is not what we want to hear. It's the very opposite of what we want to hear. And if you look hard enough around, you'll find people to to affirm you in whatever it is that you want to do. To suit their own desires. Peter writes, just as there were false prophets among the people, i.e. in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Many, verse 2, will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up stories can be super entertaining who doesn't love a good story it seems to be hardwired into us to love stories and they're preachers that are moving the hearts of people through clever stories but if we really want to know what God's saying to us we need to study God's word not hear anecdote after anecdote of great things that this or that one did In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Even the elders of the Ephesian church are warned by Paul, and I'm grateful to Roland for pointing this out to me this week, that verse 29 is addressed to elders in the church, and Paul says, I know that when I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. These are the elders being addressed. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. There's a lot of self-interest that can go on in the name of the church. People trying to build big congregations, have followings. What are the, some of the motives for false teaching? After all, why can't people just be happy with God's truth? Why don't people just delight in what God has said, what God has revealed? There are a number of reasons why people teach false doctrine, and I want to share some of them with you. The first is just good old plain ignorance. Well, it's never good. People say crazy stuff in churches, in life groups, from the pulpit. I've said my fair share of crazy stuff. Sometimes we just do it out of ignorance, and that's okay, but that's why the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers, because you're going to be judged more strictly than everybody else. There are some verses about people teaching, and they haven't a clue what they're talking about. Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy 1 verse 6, Some have wandered and turned to meaningless talk. You know all those debates and meaningless talk that consumes hours of your time and accomplishes nothing? These people, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Later in chapter 6, Paul says, if anyone teaches false doctrines that don't agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. So sometimes it's just ignorance. Which is why education is so valuable. Another main reason for false teaching is human pride and independence. That desire we all have to be able to define what a thing is, ourselves. Hey? In my opinion, it's just an opinion, I don't have to agree with it. One of the defining characteristics of postmodernism has been the loss of absolute truth. The loss of objectivity. That's true for you brilliant this is true for me also great maybe they are two contradictory ideas in our day and it's got ever so much worse in the last two years we're literally seeing history being made in sense of zeitgeist development nowadays everybody is defining truth the way they want it to be Here's an example of a man who says he's a woman. Uh, and it's a little unfortunate because he went and then won the women's cycling championship just a few months ago. Here's a guy who's trying to define truth for himself as well. He's a Dutch man. He's 69. But he feels as though he's 49. And so he's going to court to have his ID document changed. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. This is the the, the logical development of people saying, well, I'm not going to have you put your label on, you know, who are you to call me 69? (laughs) And this is driving false teaching in the church today. Another thing that's driving is that everybody has access to the internet and kind of post and pretend they're like an absolute whiz on the subject. This is the original sin, the desire to define truth for ourselves. When the serpent's having a, a little conversation there with Eve, it, it went along these lines. Did God really say that? That's the big question of our days, the challenge to the church. Did God really say? Is the Bible really inspired? And so Eve gets into this discussion, and she gets it right initially. God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. That's God's truth to her, and she knows it. But hey, that Fruit looks pretty cool hanging there on that tree. It's pleasing to the eye. It's desirable to gain wisdom. Maybe I'll be as smart as God if I eat some of this. Maybe that's why He doesn't want me to eat from this tree. She took it and ate it. It wasn't good enough what God had said. She wanted to decide for herself and her husband. Well, it wasn't really a husband, they were living together, presumably. Because I was wondering who had performed their marriage. (laughs) He's right there. And he also wants to define truth for himself. Often people teach false things because they want to justify a sinful lifestyle. And we're seeing that whole thing playing itself out with gay marriage. People with same-sex attraction don't want to say, Lord, I have a problem. My heart is wicked and fallen like every heterosexual person's heart is as well. God, help me to live a holy life and to be celibate as you deal with me over, de- over years, helping me with these feelings that I have. No, to suit their own selves. They say, no, but God didn't really say that. We said it, but he didn't mean it. I'm going to define it. Our church is going to define it. And we're going to do marriages between one and two and whoever. To justify a sinful lifestyle. There it is. To suit their own desires. And people are doing this constantly, the whole health and wealth prosperity gospel, it's all built around appealing to people's selfish desires and greed. There's the desire to be popular these days. Many churches today deliberately will not speak about hell, will not speak about Jesus being the only way to salvation. They will not preach sermons on repentance. They will not call out homosexuality. They want people to like them. They want to be popular. And so preaching becomes motivational talks, help you how to be successful in business, how to have a good relationship, how to be rich, how to be wealthy. Once again, to suit their own desires. Here's Joel's congregation in Texas. People like to be popular. The gospel, however, is a, is a stumbling block to people. It's an offense to people. Christians, we're told, are like the stench of death to people who reject the gospel. You stink to non-Christians. I think there's a verse. I'm I'm not recalling my verses. Brad says two Corinthians something. (laughs) Self-interest. Here's old Creflo needing to upgrade his jet. Do yourself a favor and go on the internet and Google the lifestyle and the mansions of people like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, and Co. I've got a massive problem with these guys because they are false teachers. It doesn't mean to say everything they teach is false, but their emphasis is wrong, and a lot of what they teach is false and not in keeping with Christian doctrine. Benny Hinn is probably the the world's best-known faith healer, and prosperity preacher and his 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 young nephew well not so young he looks about uh, Roland's age <laughs> <laughs> he's got the same beard <laughs> and haircut Hinn has, has given multiple interviews. He's a humble guy. He he traveled with Benny and stayed in all the six-star hotels at $25,000 a, a, a night. And he says this, growing up in the Hinn family empire was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. It was the royal family because of the, the wealth and the the and the mafia because stick with the family here our lifestyle was lavish our loyalty was enforced and our version of the gospel was big business though this makes me very upset here what he says next though jesus was still a part of our gospel he was more of a magic genie than the king of kings rubbing him the right way by giving money and having enough faith would unlock your spiritual inheritance. Let me tell you the one big thing that is wrong with prosperity preachers. If anybody ever tells you you have to do something else apart from just having faith in Jesus to earn God's favor, they're preaching the false gospel. Because the the true gospel, the true message is that there's nothing you and I can do to impress God or to earn his favor. There's nothing we can do. No amount of fasting, no amount of quiet times in your week, no amount of giving money can unlock anything. We are only ever blessed by God. We only ever receive God's favor for one reason and one reason alone. And that is because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And if anybody ever says to you, if you want to receive this blessing on your life and you want to do that, then you have to sow into this ministry and do whatever it is. It's false teaching. It's a distortion of the gospel. And what gets me about these prosperity preachers is that for some time they leave their mansions in L.A. and Florida and wherever else they live. They get on their private jets. They, They zoom into some African country. They preach a false gospel telling people what they need to do to unlock their healing, take money from all those poor people, And then hop back on their planes, go back to the U.S. of A. And, of course, it's tax-free because it's the Lord's work in the States. And continue to live their lavish lifestyles. And if they were just robbing people, one could say, well, they're ripping people off. But these are people that do it in Jesus' name. Yeah. What would be a whole lot better would be if they'd sell their mansions, fly economy class to wherever it is in Africa that's needy, and go and give the money that people have given to the Lord's work to the people that actually need it. Another reason for false teaching is the desire to control people. And you can study this in sociology, how cults develop. Some people that don't want to run their own lives feel a lot easier to have somebody else do it for them. This can happen in relationships, we call it codependency, but it can happen in churches and it gives some people who are broken inside some kind of sense of security because I'm being told what to do, everything's sorted. And you land up drinking the Kool-Aid on the final day false teaching is is birthed in, in in hell paul also writes the spirit says that in the later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons Did you know that demons have a teaching ministry, a false teaching ministry? They want you to think things about God that are not true. They want you to make decisions about your life and how you live it based on information that is not of God, that is not true. There are spirits out there trying to deceive us. That's why Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. As we wrap up, how can we identify a false prophet, given that we have to? Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What is this fruit? That helps us to see if a person's teaching is of God or not, if a person's hearing from God is really from God or not. Jesus says, By their fruit you will know them. Do they have godly character? Is their behavior godly? And by godly, I mean it's Christ like. Do they act like Jesus? You see, Jesus didn't live in an awesome mansion and fly in his own jet. And Jesus didn't go around saying, and if you want to be healed, uh, just give Judas, because he was the treasurer, uh, some money, please, and then I'll pray for you. And Jesus didn't have to have music pumping in the background for 45 minutes and flashing lights before people could get saved. Friends, by their fruit, we will recognize them. Are they... Emulating Jesus Christ, his lifestyle, the way he operated, his dependence on God, his humility. And what's their the fruit like, the, the outcome of their lives? That's a big test. You can also know if someone is teaching the truth or not by studying God's Word. By studying God's Word. Don't ever take anything that I say as like gospel truth. I mean, I know most of you don't know no no no. <laughs> the only authority I have to say anything is is God's word. You shouldn't be interested in my opinions or in anybody else's because they're just opinions. We need to be like the Bereans and when somebody says something makes a statement we need to be like the Bereans who received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true having phd behind my name or anybody I don't have it by my name so why have, you see I almost tricked you right there When someone has PhD or I've written this peer-reviewed paper, boom! Now what I'm saying is right. That doesn't make it right. There can be 50 people that think a thing. In times, there was a million people that could think one thing. Doesn't make it right. Paul says, if an angel were to come to you in your bedroom and give you a new something or other, a new doctrine, he said, cursed be that whole situation even if an angel comes and tells you something different to what what has been given to you reject it one of the things the reformation was all about i am taking it for granted you all understand what the reformation is okay if not we need to run a little a little elaboration oh okay um <laughs> brad what's the engine <injured? laughs> No, 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 no. There was a huge movement <laughs> when guys like Martin Luther and Zwingli and people like that, well, Martin Luther banged his, his, his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral. And he said, friends, he didn't have Facebook, so he couldn't post it. <laughs> uh, or Twitter, it wouldn't have helped, because there were 95 things he wanted to say. So if you were an academic, and he was an academic, the way you brought things to people's attention for discussion was you banged it on the notice board, which used to be the the cathedral door. And so Martin Luther posted on the door 95 things that were wrong with the church. It was the Catholic church. There was only one church at that time. He said there are 95 things here that we've got to get sorted and it didn't go down that well and that's where the protestant church developed from because people were protesting against what was happening in the church and one of the things that was they were protesting about is The church had made up a whole lot of doctrines and priests were claiming a whole lot of authority for themselves. And one of the things they fought for was that, no, we know what God is saying to us because we have the inspired written word of God. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness so that the man of God can be fully equipped for every good work. The way that we know what God's will is for our lives is through the written word. It's not sitting in my bedroom and get a feeling in my heart or my head either way, one way or the other. Yes, we have a conscience, but when it comes to revelation, our faith and our church believes in the scriptures being the sole and final authority for all matters of faith and practice. So if you want to know what God is saying, if you want to know what the truth is, be like the Bereans and examine the Scriptures every day. And as we're examining the Scriptures, we don't just pluck verses out of context, cherry-picking what we like so that we can make it say what we want. We need to be a workman who are working hard, who don't have to be embarrassed, who correctly handle the word of truth. That's why Paul says, preach the word for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. It's preaching the word, expounding the word, learning the word, memorizing the word of God that keeps us from accepting false doctrine when it comes our way. And we need to be humble and accountable to watch our lives and doctrine closely Doctrine does matter. We need to persevere in them, because if we do, we will save both ourselves and our hearers. Will you be on the lookout for false prophets, for people who distort the gospel message, who add to the gospel, or who take away from the gospel, or who customize the gospel, And will you make sure that you truly are a Christian? Because there are many people today, some of you sitting here tonight, you think you're a Christian, but you are not. And you might be one who says one day on the day of judgment, but Lord, I went to church quite often. I sang all those cool songs. I even went to life group once in a while. I went on a mission trip. In fact, I made a guy's leg grow. And Jesus is going to say to you, Go away from me, evildoer. I never knew you. Wow, that was a heavy landing. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for people in this church tonight who who are under the false impression that they are known by you. Jesus said many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. I I prayed, I read my Bible every now and again. I had some Christian friends. And Jesus says, only he or she who does the will of my Father will be saved not because their good works will save them they won't but their good works show that they are being saved i just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here tonight who is unsure